an entrepreneur is somebody that comes up with an idea and basically takes that idea and creates a viable, sellable product out of it. That's quote unquote an entrepreneur. If the product is not sold, the fact that you're an entrepreneur and you created something is garbage if you don't have the money to back it up. I would rather have the cash flow. And if you'd rather have the cash flow, there's a completely different set of skills that you need, such as you need to basically, you know, be able to advertise and create leads. The next is going to be your contact itself. What are you actually physically saying to these people to bring your product or service to market? Um, the fourth step is going to be the presentation itself. So I think direct sales and MLM, the good ones, the right ones, have this list. And if you learn this list first, then and only then can you take a real, your own idea, an entrepreneur idea, and only then are you going to be able to create the idea and those pieces of it and then bring it to market where we can create profit. This is the Angles of Latitude podcast, session number 156 with a John Maxwell certified trainer and serial entrepreneur, Jeff Gamble. What you're about to hear is the integration of life. Clarity is power. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Liberty. We choose to go to the moon. It's happening. And all things geek. Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, you got a badass over here. Welcome to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining me for this session of the Angles of Latitude podcast. I'm your host, JC Preston. And if this is the first time you're listening in, this is the show where we bring you life lessons or a message from successful entrepreneurs, experts, athletes, and artists. And it's our hope that it will help you find and execute your own personal mission and live a lifestyle that you're proud of. Hope you guys are having an amazing day. This is the first session of the show since becoming a dad for me. And wow, so far, it's not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. But you know, those 4am wake up calls like the one I had today, uh, definitely something to get used to. But that said, he's definitely a mommy's boy. And it really helps to have a lot of support from the family. So that's that's all going good. And we really, really appreciate your guys' support. Uh, to keep my sanity, though, uh, I've been hard at work getting things organized for this new chapter of life. But of course, I'm going to continue to bring you guys great conversations that will help you move forward in your businesses. And speaking of new chapters of life, today's interview is one that I think you guys will get a lot of inspiration from. Uh, Jeff's story has all kinds of ups and downs. And like me, he started his entrepreneurial career and the MLM world. And also like me, he learned a lot of great skills during his time involved in that early group. But it wasn't too long after that where he found himself in a very dark place in his life. What you'll find out about him though is that these series of ups and downs have really helped him become who he is today. And simply to say that's a very enlightened and humble leader. Some of the other things that we'll be hearing about in this interview include the life event that started to change his perspective on life and business, what good network marketing companies do for their associates, and items someone should consider when getting started in an MLM group. But before we get into that, I want to remind you guys of the resource, Uncover Your Personal Mission. And as you'll hear in today's chat, it really helps to know yourself and what motivates you to do what you do. At an early age, Jeff realized that he was pretty gifted at making sales and today, he continues to be one of the best sales guys that I know. However, most people don't get to know that much about themselves until much later in life, if at all. And personally, for me, I didn't realize I was different, quote unquote, until I was in my late 20s and early 30s. And what I've found out is that there's a bit of a process we have to go through to figure out who exactly we are. And luckily, we don't all have to go through life-changing events to figure that out. In my resource, Uncover Your Personal Mission, we go through three different parts in understanding ourselves, passion, purpose, and process, which includes what we're interested in, how we fit with those around us, and what makes our work unique compared to others. 
You know, if you're doubting the work that you're currently doing, wondering whether it's right for you, or you simply want to find the work that is right, this guide is definitely for you. Download it today for free by going to newinceptions.com slash personal mission guide. Again, that's newinceptions.com slash personal mission guide. All right, before we get started, remember to subscribe to the show on whichever platform you're listening to. My favorite player is still CastBox for Android and iOS. And here's a neat thing about CastBox uh, that I just learned about this week. And I don't know how long this has been an actual feature. But apparently you can have live shows at any time through the platform. I found out by hearing an interview of, of Pat Flynn by Joel Calm. It was like listening to a live radio show where listeners could actually join the show by calling in. And I think that's something that I definitely could get into, um, if not right away, but very, very soon. That said, if you're still using the podcast app on your iPhone still, would really appreciate the review over there as well. And also, we'd love to have your support of the show on Patreon. You can do so at patreon.com slash podcast. And of course, we always want to hear from you guys. So shoot Veronica Harrison or myself an email at guys at newinceptions.com with any current issues that you're going through while you're building and scaling your business. Again, that's guys at newinceptions.com. Show notes and show note extras of the show can be found at newinceptions.com slash 156. And as usual, I'll be on at the end of the show to fill you in on anything we might have missed. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is JC Preston, your host. And today we have a great guest that is going to be shedding the light on, I think, one of the more controversial topics in the make money online space, network marketing or multi-level marketing. And now personally, if you follow the blog at all, you know that I've mentioned my previous experience in the MLM world a few times. Uh, What I might not have shared is that I was originally in a group back in high school and I spent all of six months in it. And because I didn't have much support, I quickly saw it as a waste of time. And in fact, through my entire undergrad years, if I heard anyone getting involved in an MLM group, I felt compelled to tell them it was a complete scam. And around 10 years later, I was reapproached and was given access to all kinds of support and training. And as I've said, I learned a quite a bit in my time there from improving my soft skills and productivity to understanding the benefits of capitalism and even learning about sales and how, if done right, a salesman is nothing more than a facilitator of products and services. Like past guest Michael O'Neill, I went from actually being unaware of these topics to becoming a student, eventually a practitioner of the material. And interestingly, both groups I was sponsored into were affiliated with the same company, being Amway. And obviously, they had completely different approaches in handling new members. And I think this is something that needs to be discussed for those of you who might not, you know, maybe you're on the fence about joining a particular company. And to aid me in this topic, I have someone with me who has spent much of his career in the sales arena. And along with being involved with the MLM world since his late teens, he's also involved in realty and helping people get their credit repaired. And on top of this, he and his fiance are owners of the 317 Holistic Health here in Indy, and he's a certified John Maxwell team member. Today, I'm speaking with Jeff Gamble, who can be found on the web and social media using the phrase, work with Jeff Gamble. Jeff, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Ah, good, good, good day. Hey, man. You know, I'm just totally enjoying these these days of June, and we're having some really interesting time. You know, we, I know we've been doing some work together and doing some stuff with Amplify, and that's ramping up for the next couple months. And it's it's good time for sure. Absolutely. You know, you have one heck of a background, and like me, you again, you got started in Amway at an early age as well. And but it sounds like you know you had a much better experience early on and got around some pretty amazing people. Do you remember how you actually got sponsored? Yeah, um, that would have been high school. Um, I was dating someone at the time, and I went over to her house after school. We were actually um, finishing up some homework. We started watching TV. And her mom got home first and basically did, you know, what moms do. They drop stuff off and started working around the house. And all of a sudden she disappeared. 
And what I mean by disappeared, I just didn't see her, you know, in the house anymore. Um, and I, I, I hear the garage rustling out and she finally, um, comes back out about 30 minutes later, 45 minutes later. I don't remember the time gap. And she has 30 brown bags that are all numbered and she lays them on the counter. So hmm. it, it didn't, it didn't really like, I guess, uh, it, it didn't concern me because mm -hmm. my mom's a teacher. She was a teacher. I thought, Oh, this is something for school. Um, about 10 minutes later, the doorbell rings. And she goes to the door, has a conversation. One of the bags leaves. Um, about 30 minutes later, this happens again. Her dad comes home, and approximately every 10 to 15 minutes, this goes on all evening until all 30 bags have disappeared. I finally walk into the next room, which is where the kitchen um, dining room is. And her dad's sitting at the dining room table with like this mountain of cash and checks, and all 30 bags are gone. Now, I don't know what neighborhood you grew up in. But I was now concerned. I was now concerned. I was like, what is going on? You know, Tony Soprano sitting there with this stack of cash. And her dad was, um, you know, an engineer by trade, very mathematical, very scientific, very by the book. I mean, this guy followed the book to a T. I was like, there's no way they're involved in anything they're not supposed to be involved in. I go to the restroom. I walk back by. He's doing all the accounting, counting up all this money. And I sit down on the couch and I look over at my girlfriend. I was like, by the way, what do your parents do? And she's like, well, they own a business, but they don't want me to tell you about it. I was like, okay, I, I'm suspicious now. I, I have ripped <laughs> I walk back in the next room and I'm like, uh, yeah, so what do you guys do? Um, you know, she says you guys own a business. And her dad's like, oh, yeah, let me show you. And literally gets up and starts walking towards the garage. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that the door is going to open and there's going to be plants or there's going to be lights or there's going to be a chemistry set. Um, and he opens the door and he says, you see that shelf over there? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, you see all those products? He goes, yeah. He's like, we're actually distributors for that company. I'm like, okay. Mm. Um, and, and he kind of says, you know, rather than paying advertising, we basically are, are the reps of the company. We advertise it. And I was like, I asked how it worked, not because I was – curious and how it worked but i was like i just never heard of it before i was like well how does that work and he's like oh let me show you and he literally grabs a yellow uh legal pad yellow legal notepad and grabs a pen and a paper and sits down and basically you know you know goes left side he's like basically there's a corporation here right side there's a system and those two things come together through a sponsor and then you know draws a circle around this sp he goes this is the special person or the sponsor that basically shares the program with you i was like okay enough with the initials and the analogies and then he drops down he said and this is you and i was like really that's me and he's like, yeah, he goes, you basically see the business through somebody else. And what we teach people to do is we teach people to buy. And he basically draws out the quote unquote, the pyramid. Um, so I'm watching all this happen and he gets down and he does all the numbers down to the top of their commission chart at the time. And he's like, and this is the 25% level and this is what you make. And if you help other people get to the 25% level, here's what the average bonus check is and here's what you make. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So you can make six figures. He's like, yes. I was like, wait a minute. Based on the structure you showed me, and I don't know why I even asked this question. I was 17. I was like, so if this structure was 10 times the size or had 10 times the volume or 10 times the people, you could make a million dollars doing this. He's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so the next question is, is has anybody done that? He said, yeah. I said, do you know the people who've done it? Basically, what I was saying is, is if anybody's made more money than what you've made, I'm done talking to you. I want to go meet them. Um, and I mm. actually invited myself to the open house. Mm -hmm. That's how I was exposed or saw the program. I went home and told my uh, mom, who's a school teacher, and my dad, who's a college professor, that I was pretty much done with school at that point. Um, I was like, look, I don't want to go. I want to do this instead. This looks like it's practical experience right now. Um, and you can only imagine what my parents said. Um, you know, my mom was, I, I heard all the classic objections. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It's never worked. Nobody's ever done it. I know a bunch of people have been in and it hasn't succeeded and on and on and on. And eventually I basically figured out a way to get and borrow the money to get in. And I got started. Actually, I, I, I know this is being recorded, but I lied on my application. So sorry. Um, I hadn't read that part yet, but I lied on the application and told everybody that I was 18. So still in their system, it probably reads, you know, that my birth date was a year before my birthday was, but that's how I got. <laughs> so did you always, I mean, where did you pick up that, that entrepreneurial spirit then if it wasn't from your parents? I, I'm, I really don't know. I know that everybody admired my uncle and my uncle is an entrepreneur. I mean, he, he's, his background is accounting. 
but mm-hmm. while he was in college, he created a business and sold it and then created another business. And he, he always had a bunch of projects. Now, my stepdad was a uh, contractor, construction. So he worked a full-time job and then did construction on the side. I never... I guess I never evaluated either one as this is entrepreneur and this is not. But I think my main issue was is I didn't like the whole structure of having a boss. I didn't like the structure of having a teacher. I didn't like the ability, the, the rule system or the authority. I, I like never got along with the whole authority system. Well, I'm this person because um, I just I respected you because of what you did and the you did what you say you were going to do. Um, and that was pretty much it. But I, I never followed any of the rules that were given to me, whether it be in school or in life or legally. Um, you know, I learned all that stuff later that it would be a good idea to follow all those rules. But growing up, I basically was always against the system. So I guess entrepreneur is, is kind of as much against the system as anything. So that's more along the lines of why I probably fit into the category. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you spent some time. And again, that was one we we were both mutually in, being Amway, and you met a lot of great people. But but life happened, and you ended up looking at other ways of of making income after that point. What what all did you look into, and and what what started up all that transition? So the story goes is I see it in high school, and I get involved, and for the next six months, all I do is I basically learn about it because I'm still in high school. I actually started showing it to people, but everybody that I talked to was under the, the age of 17 or 18, um, so they couldn't get started either. So it just kind of cut my teeth and actually what it was like to be a presenter, um, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to set an appointment schedule, get in front of somebody, those kind of skills. Um, that summer, I worked construction, and I went off to college. Um, and I went off to college because basically my parents said, I'm going to kill you if you don't go. So I figured, you know, breathing was good. So I went off to school. Um, I spent a year um, in college. And basically that summer I came home um, the entire year, the first year that I was in college, I basically came home every single weekend. So that way I could attend any event that was going on in the business. Um, I was only really at school. Um, simply because I had student loans and I wasn't personally paying for it. Um, most of it was scholarship based and my parents maybe picked up, or I think I had a, I had one student loan actually. I had one student loan that paid for everything else. So that's how I got in. That's what I was doing my first year, which basically I got nowhere. I got nowhere because I, I was still learning. And when you're in college, most people who are in college are convinced that college is going to be the key to success. And when I was saying, hey, look, um, I realized even at that point, without having the internet, without having YouTube, without having Skype, without having any of those other programs, because uh, they just didn't exist, this would have been 1995, um, the year of 1995 leading into 96, I, I was kind of looking I was like, people are not succeeding. Like, I don't know what neighborhood you live in, but if you look at the majority of the people that have jobs, went to school, got good grades and got a job, they are not getting ahead. They're not driving the car I like. They're not They're not living in the neighborhood I like. Um, they're not going on the vacations I like. So therefore, I, I don't think this is the plan, but everybody else was convinced that was the plan, um, especially when I was at school. So basically, I tried everything I could to not associate with anybody that was at school. Um, I tried to, I joined a gym, uh, I joined a, a local, I think, chamber of commerce meeting, and eventually I found a open house that they were doing uh, in another team, another group. So that's what I attended. And the rest of the time I, I went to the gym, I worked out. That leads into my second year of school, about halfway through, I finally call it quits and I'm like, that's it, I'm done. Um, I, I, I didn't really quit, I just stopped going. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know, I, like there was nothing I signed, there was no letter, I didn't talk to anybody, I just stopped going to class completely. Um, obviously, if you stop going, eventually I kind of withdrew, um, was the final piece of paper after you know six weeks of not showing up, they're like, hey, there's something wrong here. And that's where I went out and got a traditional job. Um, and the, the traditional job that I first started with was I, I really started into the massage business. Um, at that time, um, there was no licensing in Ohio. I was in Cleveland, Ohio, met a guy and started basically with chair massage, um, just you know using um, the techniques that he taught me. It was kind of like an apprenticeship. I worked underneath him um, for about 18 months. Um, so over the next year and a half, that's what I was doing. And 
that actually gave me more experience, more practical business experience, because I was learning about contacting and inviting. I was learning about, you know, presenting what we do and then scheduling appointment. And that was how I was making money. I got an apartment with a friend of mine. And that led to me finding out uh, about 18 months in that friends of ours who were in college had graduated and gotten some cool job in the mortgage business. And that was really what kind of got me moving, I would say, in the right direction business-wise. Um, because the massage business, I just wasn't around a lot of money-motivated people. When I hit, the, uh, when I hit the, the mortgage business, the mortgage business was very, very um, money-motivated, money-oriented. There was a lot of sales meetings. It's where I started picking up what I would say the other skills that I could use outside of direct sales. I started learning the mortgage business. So I started there. Um, and six months into my mortgage career, um, I, I don't feel well. Like I had been going to the gym. I, I started slowing down. I started sleeping. I was like, there's something wrong. I finally went to the doctor and I find out I have cancer um, mm -hmm. after some tests. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. Um, and my parents' greatest fear was is not necessarily just that I was going to quit school, not necessarily that I was going to be an entrepreneur. But they were really concerned. They're like, well, if you go self-employed, you don't have benefits. And if you don't have benefits and something happens, and at that point, I'm a 22-year-old athlete. You know, I'm 170 pounds. I have 3% body fat. I was a runner um, or a sprinter in high school. Um, in college, I didn't really try out for anything. I just spent my time at the gym when I wasn't going to class or doing things that I was supposed to do. Um, so I, I didn't have any fear that I would get sick or anything would happen. But um, at 22, 20, at 21, I find out I have cancer. So over the next six months, I spend, you know, two surgeries, six months of chemotherapy. I end up having to move back to Indiana to my parents' house, into my parents' house. So it was kind of devastating and crushing. I mean, if you've ever had everything taken away from you at one time, you know, zero freedom, zero health, um, you know, can't even keep my eyes open. Um, and it was just like I made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Um, if you know the chart of Maslow's law, um, the basic, you know, the base to it is is food, water, shelter. I mean, I was missing that. You know, the next level safety and security didn't even like I couldn't even comprehend and belonging to something that was nothing to belong to other than, you know, the little pole that had the medicine on it that I was getting, you know, intravenously burning out the cancer along with everything else inside my body. So that's what I spent a year doing. I went from 170 pound athlete to 106 pounds in six months. Um, huh. Amazing weight loss program. Wow. Not recommended for anybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> nobody should. I, I really don't wish it upon anybody, but it did give me amazing perspective on on just life, um, where I started picking up the skills. And that year is just kind of a complete blur. Um, the the cancer had metastasized inside my lungs. My lungs swelled twice the size they were supposed to be. It was cutting off all oxygen. So basically, if you've ever seen somebody who gets to the end, end, um, their skin will actually turn color like I was gray. Um, thankfully, there were no pictures. Um, but I, I literally remember um, standing in front of the mirror. I brushed my teeth. I looked at myself and I was like, this is what you look like when you don't make it. Like that was the thought that went through my head. I was like, if what they do doesn't work today, I know this is the last like recollect, you know, mentally, this is the last recollection I'm going to have of being able to say anything to anybody. So I just said, Hey, you know, I hope this works, you know, that I, I kind of thanked my parents and they, you know, they obviously understood what that meant. Um, so that was kind of like emotionally, that was the hardest thing I ever had to do up until that point, you know, I guess in life, but the one thing it gave me was perspective um, of risk is, you know, when somebody's like, oh, it's risky to spend money or it's risky to do this. I was like, actually, that isn't risky. If the finances can fix it, it's really not that risky um, risk. You know, a real problem is, you know, cancer. A real problem is, is, you know, an accident that, you know, now you're having to deal with. So that's that's kind of my story up until. I get back into the mortgage business when I get better. Uh, when I get better, I get back into the mortgage business. I start succeeding in mortgages. And a really weird thing happened. I started watching a lot of late night TV when I was sick. And every single evening on TV was this really cool program called No Money Down, Charlton Sheets. 
Um, I've recently tried to look for Charlton Sheets online. He's actually joined the Witness Protection Program. Um, once the real estate industry fell apart, I mean, that guy vanished. He's like, he obviously made enough money selling his course to disappear. That's all I know. Or somebody found him and got rid of him. Uh, but he's nowhere to be found. But my mm. stepmom actually helped write that course. She's an mm. editor. My dad hands me that course at 22 and says, you know, son, here's exactly how to file bankruptcy if you follow this. I mean, that was basically what it read. Um, but I, I learned from it because I had mortgage experience. I was able to read between the lines. I started buying property. Um, that's what got me into real estate. Mm. The mortgage business taught me about the loans, but didn't teach me anything really about real estate. But I did do a lot of loans for investors and investing interests me simply because when I got out of the hospital, I owed over a quarter of a million dollars. Um, I went through chemotherapy, two surgeries, ICU, all of it without insurance. So the chemotherapy alone was six figures. Mm. So I come out, I owed that, plus I owe my student loan had gone behind, my car had gotten behind, I had a credit card um, that had gotten behind. So everything was behind. I was behind in life starting out quarter of a million dollars in debt, which would have been really cool if I was an attorney, a doctor, like anything prominent. But I was um, I was broke and just, you know, uneducated and unemployed. So I, I'm like, OK, I need to make a lot of money fast. What do you do that? Real estate. I thought real estate was going to be the way to get to get into it. So I start buying property when I'm 22. I had talked to my friends about it as I was getting better in the mortgage business. And they're like, oh, yeah, property. You can get rich in real estate. So. I end up buying four properties in a seven month period of time, and which is awesome. I was able to fix them up. I was able to rent them out. I'm like, yes, um, I was actually able to do exactly what Charlton Sheets talked about. I was able to buy the properties. I was able to turn around and refinance them. Um, and this is obviously prior to the new lending laws that came out where you can't do this, but I was able to refinance them and I was able to pull out money out of each one of them. Um, so I made about $80,000 at 22 by buying these four properties. The problem that happened really quickly was I hit something called rapid acquisition, which is banking terms for you can no longer buy until you provide two years tax returns. So wow. um, it stopped me. <laughs> I was dead in the water. I could not purchase another property without two years tax returns. So then I started looking at alternative ways to buy hard money. Um, and these different things. Meanwhile, I just kind of, I started. Um, it was so it was kind of like, you know, water torture. I would I would send a drop of money to this bill and a drop of money to that bill, just trying to prolong the avalanche that was coming or the tidal wave that was coming of debt coming at me. Uh, but it basically the medical bills were really cool. Um, I made enough money to pay everybody else to a point where we were cool. Um, got an apartment. Things start rolling well. And then a new program comes out that I find out about called contract buying or something called subject to where you're actually able to purchase a property without credit and without money down and without any experience. And I was like, okay, this is the coolest thing I've ever learned in my life. Um, but it required finding a very unique situation, um, a situation where somebody needed to move, had to move and was out of options and typically upside down in their house. And the basics are is they were literally just signing over the house to you. Um, is that a good idea as an investor? Usually not, but there are specific circumstances. If you take this course, I don't have time to talk about it right now, but there's there specific circumstances that you have to find. And in certain instances, it's a good deal. I found those situations and started purchasing property this way. And I was able to purchase another 14 properties in 36 months. So if you add that to the original four, I now have 18 properties in about a four-year period of time um, in various stages of finished rental, et cetera, et cetera. And I end up getting back into network marketing um, somewhere in the middle of this. And I get taught a principle called depth, uh, which I'll get to here in a minute in the story, but I get taught a principle called depth. And I do actually really well. I get involved in this one company. And I was able to recruit 17 or 18 people in a 30, 40 day time frame. It was a really fast time frame. And I actually made some decent money. I mean, like, I think my investment in was about $120, $130. 
Um, I want to say that the monthly at that point was, it wasn't enormous. It was like 50 bucks a month for two bottles of Kool-Aid or I don't know what the hell we were buying. Honestly. It was just like, <laughs> they were just like, here's the business. I was like, that sounds good. It was some kind of vitamin. I don't know if it was good for you or not. I really don't. Um, but they, they said it was good for you. So I bought two bottles a month, like you were supposed to. And I went out and recruited about, like I said, a hundred, uh, I made over $1,200 in the first, I want to say two months. Um, and to me, that was a lot of money in network marketing because of the companies right. I had been in and companies I had seen. Um, if those of you who are listening don't know the average person in direct sales, at least about 90% of people in direct sales actually never turn a profit. Um, and people are like, oh my God, that's so horrible. That's the reason why network marketing is bad. No. Um, if you look at business in general, 90% of businesses don't turn a profit. So it actually is no different. Um, out of the millions of people who sign up in real estate, about 90% of realtors never sell a house. About 90% of insurance people never sell a policy. About 90% of financial people never. I mean, it's just the way it works. 90% of people who sign up for the gym do not get fit and go on stage and compete. It's just the way that it works. Um, so I was, I was impressed with myself that I had figured something out inside of direct sales. And then... All my bad decisions started compounding. Um, my relationship falls apart. The person that I'm with um, basically, you know, says, I'm done. I'm done. I'm moving back. She was from outside the country. Um, I had worked my way up into real estate and my job. So I was working my job full time, working my business part time in real estate. My job full time was in the mortgage business. And I basically had put all my debtors at ease. Um, I still owed a lot to in, in medical four years later, but I was paying on it. I had moved into a four bedroom, like 3000 square foot house in Fishers, Indiana on a corner lot. You know, it's literally the corner lot, green yard, literally a white picket fence, red door. Like, I mean, the dream house <laughs> had the white BMW, like you're supposed to get. And then the relationship falls apart. I'm like, okay, I can, I can survive this. You know, I mean, I've survived cancer. I've survived, you know, laying on, you know, laying on the floor, not knowing if I was going to make it. I can survive um, this relationship breakup. It was divorce, which was horrible. Um, I can survive this. And then about six months later, one of the builders that we were working with, I was selling houses, shorted me on nine commissions. Said, hey, we're just not going to be able to pay you on these. Um, that was to equivalent of about $70,000 in one month that I learned that we're not going to be able to bring in. I'm like, okay, I can figure this out. I will fight it. Um, and what you do when you get, I guess, screwed over at that level is you start calling friends. I had some friends that were in law school and I called and I said, what do I do in this situation? And one of my friends referred me to another friend that is an attorney. Um, and still probably practicing today, I don't know. And I had a conversation with this person and they went and did some research and they said, well, the company that has screwed you out of this money has done this before to other people. There's a lot of paperwork on these type of lawsuits that they've done this to. And the company right now is doing about $350 million is what it's worth. So you as a peon are going to fight somebody that has $350 million. They're like, you're never gonna get your money. You'll never get your money. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're, you're fighting a losing battle. So I did the next best thing. Um, I called all of their clients <laughs> that were on the books and I told them what happened. And they called me in and said, hey, we'd like to cut a deal. Um, so what I learned is in the business world, um, you have to stand up for yourself. And, you know, in some cases, um, the mafia, <laughs> the mafia way of doing stuff you know, break somebody's arm or break somebody's leg. And all of a sudden people start listening to you every time you open your mouth. Um, I actually learned that from a realtor. He's like, look, if somebody tries to take blood from you, you break an arm. And if somebody tries to break an arm, you take out their legs. He goes, you want to be known as a person that's going to follow through or people will always step on you. And this is a well-known, well-respected guy um, that believes in helping people like 99.9% .9 of the time he goes, but if somebody comes after you and somebody jeopardizes you and your family, you take their legs. Um, and I started, you know, I, I just started using that and I went after the company. The company paid me five of the nine commissions they screwed me out of, um, approximately six months later. And then 2000, 
eight happens. And yeah. we went from I went from having a pipeline of eleven deals in the pipeline, or maybe ten deals in the pipeline, to having one deal in the pipeline in a matter of about six weeks. Mm. And that was right when I figured out um, because I had filed bankruptcy, or I I had filed for divorce, and the divorce was happening. The company didn't pay me, so my spouse's income that was helping us survive, like pay the normal bills as we were building this company. Um, if you ever build a company, um, typically what you do is you just start shelling out money to build the company. Um, you shell out money in real estate to fix the properties, to pay for the mortgages before you have somebody in, to pay for the lawn equipment, to do lawns. Like I didn't really hire anybody during this time. Um, all I understood was self-employed. I could only count on me. So I was the painter and I was the carpenter and I was the tile layer and I was the plumber and I was the electrician. I only did that once. Um, and eventually I learned to not do plumbing and not do electrical. The reason being is if you do plumbing wrong, it costs you four times as much. If you do electrical wrong, you only get one chance <laughs> usually. Um, and then there's either no house or no you. Um, so I learned to hire people for those two things, but I did everything else. Um, I went out and bought all the lawn equipment. So I was actually doing lawns on 14 properties a week, um, wow. as well as fixing. I, I just didn't understand the, like taking a day off. And the reason I didn't understand that is, is when you almost die at 20 of cancer, like I just understood that time was limited and I had to use every second that I had. So I was working all day in the mortgage business. As soon as I got off, I went to one of the properties and there was always something to do. There was paint, there was siding, there was the outside. And I did this year round for a couple of years. Um, and then the end basically takes place. Um, the builder kind of takes me out. Um, the relationship takes me out and I'm sitting there going, okay, I have $27,000 going out the door a month at that point. That was just to break even. So when I didn't have that money come in, I was like, you know, talking about hemorrhaging cash. It was going out faster than it was coming in. And six months in, that was pretty much the end. The builder's like, you know, we're just not paying you these other four deals. That's it. So at that point, I had to throw in the towel. Um, I sent everybody a letter and said, hey, this was a fun ride. Um, but just like Monopoly, eventually the game's over. And the game just became over for me. Um, I called my friend who was an attorney again and said, hey, I need to find somebody to help me out with this weird situation. And he's like, you need to talk to a bankruptcy attorney. So I went in, sat down with the bankruptcy attorney, turned in all my paperwork. And they added it up and said, look, you're about three and a half million dollars in debt. Which, if you've yeah. ever been in debt before, it's bad. But when you're three and a half million dollars yeah. in debt, and you're not in California, <laughs> yeah, you're not in California, Florida. Um, my my one friend who's an attorney now, he was in school then. He's like, actually, that's kind of impressive. Um, he was actually impressed that I got that far in debt by myself. Um, he's like, most people don't <laughs> figure it out on that level, but if you're going to do something, do it big. Um, that's just kind of my motto. So. <laughs> The attorney actually says to me, well, we've added all up. You owe close to $3 million and you have three choices. Number one, you can get on a plane and fly somewhere. We can't find you. And that sounds like a really good idea. I was like, do you have any suggestions? Um, he didn't. He's like, you're going to have to win the lottery, but maybe more than once. Because if you win a million dollars, you're not even going to put a dent in what you have. He goes, your third option is you're going to have to file bankruptcy and start all over again. So I went from the 3,000 square foot, four bedroom house in the great neighborhood with the corner lot um, to foreclosing and being on my friend's couch. I went from the BMW M3, you know, that's a race car basically. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, yep. I went from getting that repossessed and I had spent the last $600 I had on a truck that was a 1990 or 91 truck. Remember, this is mid 2000 uh, mm -hmm. or, and towards the end of 2000. So the 20 some year old truck that had literally holes in the floorboard, you could like Flintstone it, if you know what I mean. I mean, you could see the road <laughs> underneath. The like, road is your, right. don't drop a hamburger because yep. it's going to go right through to the bottom. Um, it was a four on the floor. It had no parking brake. The parking brake literally had the, the lines had seized up. So you literally had to put it in gear to stop it from rolling away. So 
and I file bankruptcy and, you know, my credit score goes from, you know, mid 700s with all these houses to basically a 502, I think was my mid score. I had like a 490, a 502 and a 505 or something like that. So I'm like, that's where credit repair came in. While I went through the bankruptcy discharge, which takes 60 days, I read three books. I read, well, I read the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which talks about how credit works. Because I, I kind of understood it from mortgages, but I didn't understand the intricate details. I read a book called Life After Bankruptcy, which was actually written by a guy here in town who used to do seminars all over the country because he had to file and then rebuilt himself to a millionaire. And then I read Credit Repair for Dummies. And with those three things that I read, I put together a plan, a six-step system that's free that I teach people all the time on how to put the credit back together. Um, mm-hmm. And that, in a period of seven months, I went from the discharge of a $3.5 million bankruptcy to a 700 credit score, mm. which most people were trying to get without a bankruptcy. And all this right, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, it was a fast period of time. It was actually a friend of mine in the mortgage business that said, how did you do this? And I wrote down all six steps and he's like, you need to sell that system. I said, well, I actually came across that verbiage inside the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And unless we're an attorney or acting as an attorney or have a nonprofit, um, it's illegal to charge up front for credit repair, which is news to a lot of people because a lot of people have paid for credit repair up front and haven't paid an attorney. It is actually illegal to charge up front for credit repair because you'd be acting as an attorney. And, you know, but people are like, but it happens all the time. I was like, true. Um, A lot of things happen all the time that are illegal, but they don't have time to go chase all of those situations around. So you have to get big enough, screw over enough people to actually kind of get in trouble where somebody comes in and says, hey, by the way, this is illegal, and then you're charged. Um, I held a residential real estate license in the state of Indiana. My friend held a mortgage license, and I'm like, I'm not willing to risk my license over this. I'm sure you're not either. He said, well, if you ever find a way to make money doing this, you call me. And about six months later, um, I did. I found a way. Um, a friend of mine called me and said, hey, I found this unique company. Um, prepaid legal. Um, many people knew of it by its by that name, prepaid legal, because um, it was that name from 1972 uh, till about 2011. So I saw prepaid legal right before the last five years before they got bought out. And I found a way to use the legal plan and I found a way to use their identity theft product to assist my six step system and speed up the process and help people get their credit back on track. So I went back out, started selling houses. The real estate industry contacted me and asked me, hey, how are you doing this? Um, To which I sat down and I said, these are the six steps. Here's the services that I use to fix this. And you can be involved in the company for X dollars and be a rep of them. And you've got to sign an affiliated business agreement, which basically tells your client that you will make money by marketing this. And as long as you do that, you abide by all the rules. Um, If you have a real estate license or mortgage license and you're good to go. And people are like, Mm. wow, I've I've seen this company. I've heard of it, but I never knew it could do this. And I said, well, that's what I'm finding across the board. We're going to sign up a lot of people doing this. And that's when I remembered that training that I got. Um, when I was kind of midway through my real estate career, the first time a guy said, you know, you never want to build three organizations at the same time. He's like, if you have a full-time job and you're trying to go build three organizations simultaneous, it's like, it's like having three part-time jobs in three different locations. He's like, it's too much work. He goes, what you want to do is you want to build one organization straight down. And he's like, if you build one organization straight down, you're going to build for long term. You're going to build for security first, not profit. If you build for security first and you secure that first group, then you'll be able to jump over to the second group and secure it. And when you get to the third group and build the third group secure, if you have three secure groups, you're more profitable than the people who built for profit in the beginning. And it just made so like logically, it made so much more sense with all of the practical business knowledge that I had. I was like, this is a better plan than what they're teaching from stage in the network right, marketing right. space. But at this point right now, skipping to today, you, you are you're involved. You are involved with different several different companies. Um, we talked about the fact that you own 317 Holistic Health and 
and you're also still somewhat into realty a bit, but you're, you know, you're still going after network marketing a bit. And that, that kind of is an interesting topic for me right there, because you know, many people in the online entrepreneurial space, they'll, they'll contend that being an associate or an IBO or of a network marketing company is completely different than being a real entrepreneur. And their argument really is that entrepreneurs have, they have the vision, they develop the product, and they, they do the early sales before they scale. And I don't know if I totally subscribe to that definition because, for example, there are tons of affiliate marketers out there, especially on YouTube and, and other podcasters who monetize their podcasts. A lot of the YouTubers do reviews of products, and then they link them and they get the commission. And then there's people who do straight-up sales through eBay and Amazon of stuff that they have or stuff that they white label from from China. And you can't say that, you know, they've created all these products themselves. So by that previous definition, they're not entrepreneurs. And I, I, again, that's why I I, I don't know if I've subscribed to that previous definition, but that all being said, you know, I think that network marketing, you know, when done right is a great, great training ground. And sure, you might not have to develop the product, but there's, you know, that takes, one variable out while you learn how to develop yourself, your vision, your sales technique, all this. And so I'm kind of curious, what's your what's your thoughts on this particular debate? What kind of other benefits do people get from being affiliated with a good team? Well, I mean, there's a good team and there's also, um, you know, you can be on a good team and with good people, but maybe, maybe they have a bad system. Um, and I've been with people who have a good system, but they're bad people. But when the two come together, um, the, the entrepreneur, um, word is a sexy word that people are using now. And most people don't even understand what it means. Um, mm. and the same is true inside of direct sales. A lot of direct sales or network marketers call themselves entrepreneurs and they will actually say, well, I own a business. And the reality is, is they don't own a business. Uh, the reality is, is they signed a licensing agreement and they're licensed to sell somebody else's products and they're able to both sell the products themselves and they're able to build the team that sells the products and they're able to build cash flow, passive income. And the, the key word inside of direct sales or network marketing is residual income. And the reality is, is most companies don't actually pay residual. Most of the money paid in network marketing is not residual. Most of the money paid in network marketing is passive where you have a team that sold it, but it's the team that sold it this month. Or a true residual is, is it comes in month after month after month without having to go out and maintenance it and do it again. Um, you know, For instance, like if I bought a house for $100,000 cash and I put somebody in it that rents it out at $1,200 and I collect money every single month, I don't have to go out and buy the house every month and figure out all the paperwork and re-sign leases every single month that comes in month after month. So technically, I have created a residual-based income, um, but residual-based income takes maintenance too. So there's passive, there's residual, there's entrepreneur, there's licensing. But the main objective is, I think, is to create cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how do you create cash flow? Well, there's a couple of things you need to learn, and this is where I see direct sales teaches you what I would say the 80% of the hardest part of becoming an entrepreneur. Um, you know, yes, an entrepreneur is somebody that comes up with an idea and basically takes that idea and creates a viable, sellable product out of it. That's quote unquote an entrepreneur. From that point, once that idea has been created and basically substantiated into a product that's sellable, um, we see this every day on Shark Tank, if you watch Shark Tank, Um, At that point, you can either go build it and sell it yourself, or you're going to have to have somebody else come in and buy it who can sell it. But either way, if the product is not sold, the fact that you're an entrepreneur and you created something is garbage if you don't have the money to back it up. So basically what you're saying is you're an idea person. Congratulations. I would rather have the cash flow. And if you'd rather have the cash flow, there's a completely different set of skills that you need, such as you need to basically, you know, be able to advertise and create leads. That's the first thing. 
Um, and that's one thing really good that indirect sales teaches you is basically how to advertise yourself and or the opportunity and or the products. All three would be best, but you're, you learn how to advertise. Once you learn how to advertise and create leads, then you're basically going to have to collect those leads at a certain place called the database. So it actually teaches you about building a database. At least the good systems teach you about these two topics. Um, the bad systems don't ever teach these two topics. The company takes basically this away from most people. Um, and I'm not going to say which companies, but there's certain companies that take those two things away from from people because they know people don't last inside their system for very long. So they take that. The next is going to be your contact itself. What are you actually physically saying to these people to bring your product or service to market? Um, your contact and your invite, uh, or if you want to call it just setting an appointment to actually present what you do. Um, mm -hmm. The fourth step is going to be the presentation itself. How do you present this product that's been created? Whether it's your product or whether it's somebody else's product, there has to be a presentation at some point that takes place to be able to market it and sell it. Mm -hmm. um, once you get the presentation done, then you have the follow-up. Um, most people have heard inside of network marketing, which is true inside of real estate, financial services, insurance. Um, the fortune is in the follow-up, and that's absolutely an incorrect statement. The fortune is not in the follow-up. The fortune is in the sign-up. The fortune is in getting people to buy. If you follow up with somebody for the rest of your life and nobody buys anything, I'll give you a hint. You're not, you don't have a fortune. You're not going to make it. Right? You, you don't have a fortune. You, you, you basically are just following up. Um, right. But I understand what they're saying is, is you, you basically have to present several times to be able to get the sale. Um, once you get that sale and or recruit that person, and I'm going to use recruiting over selling in this point. Once you recruit that person um, and you're able to actually you know, get them involved, then it comes down to basically being able to get them started. Um, because if you get a bunch of people in and they never get going, um, then you have a revolving door. And if you yeah. just have a revolving door, which a lot of real estate companies have a revolving door, a lot of insurance companies, a lot of direct sales companies, they have a revolving door. It's basically nobody sticks. Um, so you got to have a good getting started program, and then you got to have a good leadership program where people are actually teaching people to lead. And then the last step of, you know, outside of leadership is basically your training program and your system to train all this, um, which is part of leadership. But a training program actually is beyond what just leadership is. So it teaches, I think direct sales and MLM, the good ones, the right ones, have this list. And if you learn this list first, and you know how to move and market and grow and build, then and only then can you take a real, your own idea, an entrepreneur idea, and only then are you gonna be able to create the idea and those pieces of it and then bring it to market where we can create profit. And if you can't create profit, you're not really, you're not really an entrepreneur because if you know, you're an entrepreneur in in definition only, but not in success. Mm -hmm. Well, and you can have the greatest idea, but if you don't know how to get it to market, I mean, no money. It doesn't. Yeah. And if you exactly. have no money, you would be an entrepreneur, but not a successful entrepreneur. <laughs> Which there are plenty of those in Silicon Valley, funny enough. Yeah. Love ideas. Um, <laughs> Another thing that we should probably touch on, you know, the, yes, there's the right team, but there's there's also the, the the picking the that has the right system, but there's also picking the right company, and you know, and being part of a good team, you know, is completely different than, than choosing the company you want to, to be an associate of. For example, you know, uh, different companies have have different products. So, like any good affiliate marketer, if you're online entrepreneur, for example, like Pat Flynn, you'll want to have tried the uh, the product and and thought highly enough about it to recommend it to others. Yep. What are some of the top things that people should consider when they're looking for the right company to be a representative of slash associate of or IBO of? I mean, the main thing is, is everything, um, not everything's for anybody, everybody, and not everybody's for everything. So it is kind of a unique blend of picking something that makes sense for you, that you like and or stand behind. Um, and there's a lot of Me Too products out there. Um, Me Too being, well, I've got that too. Me Too. I, I have that too. I like that too. Um, the, the, the industry is dominated by two industries or by two categories, I'm sorry. The, the industry of direct sales is dominated by two categories. One is health and wellness and weight loss. 
and that kind of was all wrapped into one big package, health, wellness, and uh, weight loss. And the other side is uh, personal care and or skin care. Now, the reason those two things are the dominant in the industry is obviously the product lines are unlimited. There's always a different chemical. You can always make a different chemical makeup or a different formula makeup of a lot of those products. And um, pretty much in general around the world, everybody wants to look better. So weight loss is always going to be a topic. And pretty much everybody that you know has skin. So it would only make sense that that's going to make up about 90% of the category. The other things are like home-based products, um, useful, you know, things in the household. Um, and then you have a very, very slim margin of like tech-based products. Um, I've always tried to stay away from tech-based products because tech moves too fast. Um, mm -hmm. Toilet paper today isn't dramatically different than toilet paper was 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Hopefully not the same role. But I'm just saying <laughs> that it, it, it hasn't changed, you know, greatly in, you know, other than probably where it's manufactured and, you know, the wrapping that it's put together in. Because it used to be all wrapped in paper and now it's probably wrapped in plastic, right? Um, mm -hmm. Just because of cost, you know, the cost went down. Unless it's wrapped in paper and plastic. Correct. So that's another. And that's a, that's a, that's a higher end <laughs> blend version. Um, you know, triple, triple thread, whatever. So I've looked for, you know, something that is unique, um, something that, and here's my rationale. If it can already be sold on, because we've already talked about Amazon and the internet, if it can be sold on Amazon, even if it's not supposed to be, even if your contract says that you're not supposed to, if I can buy it on Amazon and I can buy it on Craigslist and if I can buy it on Backpage, well, which is no longer around. Um, I'm just thinking through the different places. Um, what's another um, thrifty nickel? Um, if it can be bought in a classified ad space, um, you basically are now competing not only against the other reps in your company, but now you're competing against the availability of this product on the internet. So I've kind of always tried to find something that really doesn't have a competitor to it. Um, that's just my, you know, my list. My other list is, is if I can't sit down and make a hundred dollars in a 15 to 20 minute conversation, I'm not interested in it. Um, the reason being is, is if you kind of look at, you know, the people who make what we consider great money, doctors, lawyers, you know, top engineers, top programmers, um, you know, airline pilots, people who make six figures and above, if you really kind of do the math on it, you have to kind of earn around a hundred dollars, you know, 75 to a hundred dollars an hour to get to that, bring home six figures, not make six figures because that's taxed, but bring home six figures. You got to get to where the $7,500 an hour mark is. And here's what I realized. It takes the exact same amount of time to contact invite and set up an appointment. It takes the exact same amount of time to present, the exact same amount of time to follow up, the exact same amount of time to go to an event, the exact same amount of time to close. Somebody on a $5 transaction is a $100 transaction. So I won't even participate in something that doesn't make $100 in the first transaction as a brand new person because I'm not going to work for three cents. I'm not gonna work for $3 with the objective of building 10,000 people who make three cents. I mm. want to work in something where people are making money up front, where if they go out and market and sell, because that's what this is about. If the sale doesn't take place of a viable product to a customer, then that's one of the, because a lot of people say, well, those things are illegal. I said, well, th there are things like that in the industry that are illegal, but here's what separates. Here's the definition. So for those of you who are wondering, what is the definition of illegal versus legal inside of the market? Has to have a viable customer. If it's just a bunch of people signing up a bunch of people and you don't really have a viable customer, what you have is a buying club that's sharing money between each other, then that is illegal. And that's the problem with most of the companies that have Me Too products. If everything you have can be bought everywhere else, then what is the uniqueness to what you're doing? Mm -hmm. uh, so before we wrap up today's conversation, which this flew by quite, a, quite quickly, um, what what is something that you're looking forward to in the not too distant future? 
I think getting into more of the uh, speaking and training, like right now I'm back in the building phase. So I re-entered um, a company that I worked with um, nine years ago. I re-entered working with them again um, about 80 days ago, 82 days ago exactly. And I think the thing that attracted me and I liked most about direct sales in general across the board is the personal development aspect, the leadership aspect of it, which is where I guess the John C. Maxwell team training comes in, um, where personal development comes in, where professional development comes in. I would not have been able to do the things I've done or make the money that I have or been able to help the people without some of the training that I've got along the way from people who have figured this stuff out from the books, from the seminars, um, from the educators and or, you know, inspirational based people who have figured things out and told their story. Um, that was kind of my goal initially when I first learned about the industry um, of, I guess, direct sales. Um, the very first person that I really like connected to was Tony Robbins. And I remember listening mm. to his his first recording. It was called Power, Power Talk or Power Talk. Unlimited Power. It was Unlimited Power. It was a six six cassette tapes. I'm dating myself. Six cassette tapes were sent to me. It's a pretty thick book too. <laughs> right before I got sick. That was sent to me by my grandmother. I remember listening to those six tapes and I thought, mm. wow, I don't know what this even is called. I don't know if it's a profession, but I would love to be able to do what this guy does. Like I didn't even know it was something that you could go do. I just thought, you know, maybe you're born with that gift where you can do it. So ever since then, I've been looking for, you know, some way to get back into that. And what I found is, is inside of direct sales, when you build to a certain level, you're able to share your story. When you build to an even higher level, you're able to share your story and your experience. And when you're able to build to a very high level, you're able to share your story, your experience, and be able to train people on figuring some of these things out. And that's really what I look forward to most is being able to help people overcome some of the bad training, some of the bad programming, some of the bad philosophies that they might have received so they can succeed, not just inside of direct sales, but inside of life. Love it. Love it. So for wrapping up again, let's get into the rapid fire question segment. First question, three influencers or teachers that have launched you to where you're at today. Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, John Maxwell. Love it. That's right on top of your head there. That's, that's awesome. Next one. If you could spend one day doing a job or running a business that you currently are not, what would it be? I would go work with Grant Cardone inside of uh, Grant Cardone Capital. <laughs> okay. What's the smallest decision you've made that has had the largest impact on your life? Starting to read 15 pages a day from a book. Mm. How long have you been doing that? Um, probably about a decade now. Really? Wow, that's awesome. And what is one thing that every high school student must know? Probably the best thing that I can think um, is they need to know about the book Think and Grow Rich, and it should be uh, a mandatory read inside of school. Mm. And finally, what's the secret to achieving personal freedom? Um. Basically, keeping your expenses low and having a large enough income coming in from an asset that you don't have to go out and get it again. Mm. Yeah, yeah, which we've kind of talked about in this conversation. Awesome. Appreciate yeah. it. All right, man. Well, again, people can connect with you by looking you up on Google. You can just type in work with Jeff Gamble. You'll run across all your different socials. But are, is there any particular place where people can uh, connect with you at? No, exactly. I mean, Facebook's probably the best. That's where to start. Um, and I just appreciate being on here. And thank you so much for uh, your time and the questions. And I'm sure we'll be able to do it again. All right. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. So there you guys have it. You know, Jeff's story has the power to inspire all of us who are think that we're, we're going through a funk. And he's he's just had all the problems from health uh, to losing it all financially and even going through a divorce. He's made it through all of them. And if you'd like to speak with Jeff about some of the things that you heard on the show, don't forget to look him up on Google or Facebook by simply searching work with Jeff Gamble. He said, if you do reach out, make sure that you mention to him that you heard 
him on the show. And that way you'll be prioritized on top of his list to get back to. Uh, in the show note extras for this session, I have a few videos of Jeff today. And in the first video, he had mentioned that he has a six step program to increase your credit score. So I wanted to include him uh, going over that system a little bit. Next up, as I also noted, Jeff is a John Maxwell team member like myself. And in fact, that's how we actually met. So this video is of him talking about the 20th law of leadership, which is explosive growth. Uh, then because we talked as much as we did about MLMs, I thought I'd share one of his episodes of the Going Executive Director show that he does with his fiance, Brandy. And finally, I have a short video of Jeff getting his workout on. And as you heard on the show, staying healthy is a huge concern for him. So you'll find him in the gym maxing those gains pretty regularly. So that's it for session 156, guys. Again, if you're not sure what your niche is and you don't want to go through the journey of finding out the hard way, check out my resource entitled Uncover Your Personal Mission. Again, you can find it for free by visiting newinceptions.com slash personal mission guide. And thank you for spending a little bit of time with Jeff and me today. And as always, we appreciate you guys joining in. Until the next session, dig in, have fun, and take care in whatever you're creating. And we'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Connect with us at home, at work, or on the go at facebook.com slash newinceptions, on Twitter at newinceptions, Instagram at new.inceptions, and on the web at newinceptions.com.